Alright, shall we crack on? So, welcome to Fallout Podcast episode 15. Um, with us tonight, we have Pippington Beard, the Ace of Wands, Lodge Sage Temple, back from his holiday in the Land of Cups, the Pemberton Walker with the Wet Hills, Invisible Peel, and myself, the host. And joined tonight, we are very pleased to be joined by a fellow who has inspired me much in the last few years with his site the falling fives and his uh, radio spin-off of that steve how are you doing hi hello everyone nice to be here i want to throw a question at you steve that i'm going to throw to these lads in the next few weeks and uh, it gives you a chance i guess to tell us a little bit about your connection to this great institution but steve what is the fall well um you, you gave me sort of notice, half an hour's notice of this question, so I was racking my brains a little bit to think of something really profound and pithy to come up with, but I'm afraid I've, I've failed a bit on that. So it's a fairly prosaic answer, I'll warn you in advance. Um, the Fool is a group, not a band, um, that I liked a great deal in the 80s, that I lost my way with and parted company with in the 90s for a host of different reasons, both musical and family and circumstances and work and lots of other things. And that has strangely become, in my 40s and 50s, a bit of a a mild obsession, except perhaps not really that mild, which resulted in me hoovering up all the records that I suddenly realised I'd missed out on um, and writing in the region of probably about half a million words about the fall in the last four or five years. So that's my answer. Yeah, if you haven't checked out Steve's site, please do. It is unbelievable. He's basically done what we're doing here already, so he knows all the answers, which is good, but no spoilers. <laughs> so no, it was it was a bit of an advantage the fact that I've written at least a couple of paragraphs on every full song um, over the past few years. So whatever you threw at me, I was going to have something I could read out. Nice. So as I said, this is episode 15 of the Fallout podcast, aka twitching all over the fretboard, aka ecstatic midges. It is a fall clash of titans with all 485 to 525 songs going head to head. Steve, how many songs did the fall have? 525. Is I heard, I yeah, I heard you say that number, and my number isn't too far off that, so I was pretty pleased with the. There's a, there's <laughs> a few other bits and pieces that are on, for example, their old Reformation site, like Classical Gas and, you know, a few others that they may have played little bits of or whatever, but uh, yeah. Um, I mean, that's how the Falling Fives came by, because it, it was 525 and it just struck me it was divisible by five, so... That's sort of where it came from. Nice. So we've split into four eras, the 77 to 85, 86, 93, 94 to 2001, and 2002 to 2017. And coming up tonight, what do we have? We have a repetition off the Bingo Masters single, 1978, up against Clear Off, off the call, call from Escape Route, 1984, the wonderful and frightening era. Then we have Squid Law, or Squid Lord, off Seminole Live, up against Return, off Code Selfish. Don't Call Me Darling, off Cerebral Caustic, up against Four and a Half Inch, off Levitate. And finally, The Majesty That Is Noise, off Remit, up against What About Us, Ship Man, 
off uh, Heads Roll 2005. Any opening statements, Phil, before you hit us up with repetition? Uh, only that I, I find it a bit hard to get into the, the playlist this week after the, uh, the the Leviathan behemoth that is repetition, but it's uh, but it's really grown on me after a few repeat listenings, yeah. Nice. How about you, Al? Uh, well, yeah, again with the, the playlist, uh, I've not really listened to it too much. I've uh, been concentrating on Frank. Nice, as one should, which is good. All right, Phil, if you don't mind, hit us up with uh, a repetition or discipline, as it's otherwise known. Well, 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 quite the starting choice. Phil, you're up first. What do you make of this track? Do you know, right? So one of my favourite collections of four records is that Psychic Down Tall collection. It's like a three CD set. It's like the first sort of five to eight years, I think, of four releases. And uh, this is one of those songs that I used to always skip over because it, it just kind of... I, well, it, in my imagination, it's much longer than it actually is. And I kind of fell for it as well. I fell for what Mark was saying, that it's going to be about repetition. And it's not actually that repetitious as a song. The, the drums are all over the place. Uh, and there's actually quite a bit of variety in it and quite a few breaks in it that they do. So um, it was a bit of a shocker when I started re-listening to it because I'd not actually listened to it for, for ages. And it did, it surprised me how much it actually grew on me. And then I got caught in the crossfire a little bit with uh, the argument between you and, or not, uh, with the discussion with you and Invisible Stew around uh, what it was actually about. Is it pro-repetition? Is it anti-repetition? And uh, I, I've got no conclusion to that at all. I've got absolutely no idea whether it is pro-repetition or anti-repetition. It's, uh, it's, it's just confused me, but it did grow on me. And I went from not really looking forward to listening to it to thinking this is actually pretty decent it's it really did kind of get under my skin a little bit and uh, turn into a bit of an earworm so yeah ended up really enjoying it yeah steve what what uh, what's this one do for you it's an interesting one isn't it um as phil says it's not actually that repetitious it, it was it was interesting in the um in a lot of the obituaries for mes uh, this song cropped up a lot didn't it because they talked about the fall and repetition and Crouch Rock and how he loved Can and stuff like that. And actually, in terms of Crouch Rock, in terms of that sort of motoric beat, the fall didn't often sound like that. I mean, you did auto chip the other week, didn't you, where you, you talked about that? But actually, they didn't. And as Phil says, the drums are a bit all over the place, and it actually is quite sort of loose-limbed and, and, and spacious, and I really like it about, about that. I think one of the other interesting things about it historically is, you know, the fall were never a straightforward punk band. But if you look at the two songs on the other side of this, something like Psycho Mafia could have sat on a Punk 78 compilation quite happily. And this really couldn't. And I think this and various times, which of course was the, the next piece, are really a signal of how different The Fall are going to be. Yeah, absolutely. It, if for that first single with Bingo Masters, Psycho Mafia and this, it is uh, quite a statement. Um, 
Certainly. Uh, Al, why did you make a repetition? Um, again, it's, it's not one of my favourite, uh, the earlier fall songs, but it's, it's, it's decent. Yeah, the, the thing that uh, Steve was saying about the, the repetition thing being kind of like, yeah, the fall are, you know, dead repetitive band. I just kind of like took it as a, a mission statement, you know, like one of those mission statement songs that they, they kind of, you know, chuck out there occasionally. The message really sticks. But yeah, it's got a nice slow plod to it. Uh, some really kind of like, busy fills at times in there that's quite nice and that kind of like witch trial sound uh of production to it uh, yeah they had three r's it just reminded me of the uh father ted thing with the uh krista sheep uh, the, the, the monster with three arses and an uncanny fear of postage stamps yeah but bits of it reminded me of, of you know it's like that kind of fall sound that the country teasers nip the keyboards it's difficult to explain it but it reminded me of a bit of white noise which is you know the delia derbyshire sort of project a bit of the sound that's similar the My Generation bit at the end, I think, is absolute dog shit. It sounds like fucking Sham 69. And I think that kind of like spoils it a little, but, you know, maybe I'm missing the point. It's no wrong answers, Al. It's no wrong answers. I'm surprised you didn't mention the keyboard sounding like Frank, though. Oh, of course they do. <laughs> uh, Ezra, what does this do for you? It's been a long-term favourite of mine, yeah. And I've always found it you know quite vexing in terms of trying to work out what he's on about because obviously at first it sounds like he's singing the praises of repetition but then he goes on to you know say that like chairman mao and tommy cooper also like repetition and it's like how are these role models for your you know <laughs> for this repetition snake oil you're selling me here it's just a real head scratcher and then as you were saying he's talking about mental patients getting shocked out of being repetitious or shocked into repetition. I can't remember which. But in, you know, similarly to various times, there's this, you know, or maybe I'm stretching it a bit here, but there's, to me, there's a feeling of a cyclic kind of nature to things, which is, you know, maybe as in the music is also writ large into the rest of this universe. Aye, because repetition. Are you doing what you were doing two years ago? Well, don't make a career out of it. never understood the Blank Generation reference, though. Picking up from what Al was saying, like, it just seemed like a straightforward rip from Richard Hell and didn't even need to be in there as, as such to my ears, but yeah. Steve, did you have any did you have any knowledge about why they switch into Blank Generation at the end? Um, well, I was going to speak up in defence of this, but I quite like it. I quite like the, the, the humour in it. I, think I quite like the sort of acerbic sneer um, about it because there was quite a lot of punk that was quite humorless and where it did have a bit of humor it tended to be of the sort of you know hurry up harry sort of you know dumb sort of humor um i think it's it's um i don't know there's probably a link with the, the mental health thing you know he was writing this at the time when him and una baines lived next to prestwich mental hospital um according to smith they they talked to and gave cups of tea to patients and and, and stuff like that so i don't know whether it's a bit of a sneer at punk generally, just to say, you know, it's the same old thing, Mary. You might be dressing up in something else, but you just repeat what went before. But, you know, like nearly all of it, it's so ambiguous. I mean, I'm not going to hold my hands up and say that's definitely it. Yeah. I want to hear what Peely put down because me and him had a bit of a run-in and he won me over to his way of thinking. And it's, I, I wonder if he's mentioned it. Go on, what does he say? So, uh, repetition, he's put an absolute early classic I'm tempted to call it a manifesto in some ways, but then there are about five possible early songs that could be called manifestos. And this doesn't really set a basis for their early sound, like I initially thought. The alternation, undecorated between the two Cassio tone chords and bass sounds, 
quite different to me compared to most of Witch Trials era. Still, it's a hypnotic shuffle. Yeah. No comment. So, no comment, really. <laughs> but I originally thought I was really confused about it being ambiguous. It's a piss take of them as a band. It's a piss take of punk and uh, and uh, toying with these darker ideas of, of Mao and whether whether Bader Meinhof is in that reference to um, simultaneous suicides or whatever. Repetition is kind of good, but it's also dark and the electrodes in your brain can shock you out of that and into normalcy. So it's a piss take of them as a group. And I was trying to think of, there's not many songs where he defends the group or talks about the group. Crap rap was one maybe, but mostly he sees you pointing fingers at other people like Cary Grant's wedding. Or, I don't think there's many that fall into that idea of a mission statement. Well, you make up the whole sort of dressed in black thing at the start and about digging repetition. That sounded a bit beatnik to me, that, that whole kind of reference. I don't know. He's got a bit of a thing against Ian McCulloch and, and people like that and, <laughs> and dour punk. So really, who knows? It's a, it's a, it's a mess. But if you take everything as being generally tongue-in-cheek, it's uh, ambiguous in a way that's uh, delightful. And yeah, like Steve, I agree, the other two songs on that would have been a pretty good punk, post-punk um, single, but Repetition uh, stands out as something very different. Shall and for those playing full bingo, there's a guitar solo at the end of it as well, if you listen right to the very end. All righty, so it is up against Clear Off, off Escape Route EP. Phil, give us a bit of Gavin. Come on, fast forward it. We got, we got to hear him. I still remember the white leafy. Please don't make me play anymore. No, all right, Gavin, bloody Friday. Eh? Steve, do you want to go first on this one? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's all right. It's, it, it's. I mean, it sounds very eighties, doesn't it? I mean, I know it is in the eighties, but it sounds very eighties. It's, it's almost like OMD, New Order, The Cure. Um, it's a bit sort of gothy electro pop for me. And it was, it, it was interesting when I wrote about the wonderful and frightening that there's a generation of people, I think, or depending where they live, that grew up with the wonderful and frightening as the longer version with Call for Escape with it. And see, to me, it's always the, the nine song original that I heard. And a lot of the extras are like this, aren't they? Like, you know, um, Creep and all the rest of it. It's all a bit light and fluffy for me. I don't have any problem with Gavin Friday in small doses. Um, I like him on the one on, on the album. I have tried Virgin Prince and find his voice a bit much one after the other. But it's okay here. But I, this is a bit ephemeral. I mean, there's the bit about, it, it, it seems to be about Dennis Nielsen, possibly, um, but doesn't say a great deal of interest about him. So it, it, 
It's fine. It's 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 one not one I would skip, but not one I would choose to put on as a rule. Knowledge of Gavin Friday. The first time I heard this song, I thought it was Johnny Roth, and then it, it, clearly it's not. So I, uh, recently, I just went in a bit of a rabbit hole with the Virgin Prunes, and I really like their um, theatrical nature. But yeah, I probably can't <laughs> take his voice for more than about thirty seconds. Well, I've put a couple of played a couple of songs on the radio show recommended by other people. So I'll give the album a go, and I get halfway through, and it's starts to get a bit nails down a blackboard. Yeah. Alistair, what did you make of this? I quite liked it, actually. <clears throat> Wendy Lyric's quite amusing. The uh, uh, Hello, What's Wrong, Clear Off. It reminded me of the uh, Ivor Cutler one. It's at the uh, Hello, Good Morning, Shut, Shut Up. Shut Up, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's got, I think it's got a nice reflective kind of sound to it. It, it is like dead standard. Like, yeah, you agree with Steve, kind of like fluffy. But I think I've heard worse by them doing that kind of thing it is like quite sort of commercial you know like the inclusion of the piano on there which reminded me a bit of the pogues or something like that it sat right in the song and the bit where it's like they can't see it with the bit with the lyrics that again reminded me of Ken Arthur Strong I think there must be a bit of Mark Smith in him but yeah the drums and the rhythm uh, give it a nice pace switch between the tight offbeat stuff to the straight beat works quite well I did kind of make a note on the uh, the backing vocals it kind of reminded me of a bunch of reprobates that you saw a few years ago called for I think it was Stray Dog Cafe something like oh, that aye. <laughs> it's in threes as well i'll do notice that it's in uh, waltz time yeah yeah yeah, yes. yeah. not many yeah, not yeah. many fault songs can you think of any others in threes oh uh, not our fan but there's bound to be some i couldn't think of any others steve i mean i know small victorian charles i think's in six four so it's in threes essentially i think or the riff is anything off the top of your head chaps at, at uh, a waltz time sinister waltz Maybe sinister walls for sure. I don't know. I'd have to have. I'd have to have a listen. I think. Yeah. I think it is off the top. I'm not, I'm not very good with time signatures. I think I've read somewhere that parts are clear off in six eight. But I never really quite understand the difference. Yeah. Musical theory is quite true. One thing that is actually interesting in this one, going back to repetition. Actually, this is one of the interesting things about this is. This is quite repetition in terms of Steve Hanley, who unusually just sticks to the root notes all the way through. And, you know, he normally can't resist doing something interesting, but he's almost metronomic all the way through with the, just the, the, the root note. And it's the only heavy instrument. The bass is holding it down. Everything else is floating above, for better or worse, which is that 80s sound. Ezra, up your street, up your alley. Uh, not that much, but it is kind of interesting for a few reasons to me as well. Like, one thing is, is well, as I hear was discussed last week with the influence of B-Fart, and to me, this track was very similar to um, maybe something like Click Clack, which is off the Clear Spot or Spotlight Kid albums. So, yeah, you know, like, I certainly felt a B-Fart influence in that. And, yeah, you know, the, uh, the synth sound that opens up sounds exactly like my doorbell, so it's very irritating listening to it because I think that someone's at the door. Lyrically, the interesting thing is that it seems to have a lot in common with What About Us, which is also on tonight, uh, in that it's about an immigrant's spoiled experience of living in another country, which is also somehow linked to a serial killer. I'm really interested to know what the connection is in both cases, because there's not much to go on in either, I feel. Is he saying that maybe in this song, the alienation that results from a bunch of foreigners living in your town leads you to tell people to clear off because you're not sure of the provenance of the person at your door? That, that would be a grim conclusion, so I'm kind of happy to try and avoid it, but it was the only one that came through my brain. 
Well, Theresa May certainly wouldn't argue with that. <laughs> so um, get the vans out, put the posters up. Phil. So there's, there, there's some elements that I like about this. It is unusual it being in 3-4 and it does it does give it a certain degree of like impetus or momentum, I guess, as a, as a piece of music. And I quite like the play on the over-the-hill line, which seems to be kind of, it, it seems to be sort of doing that as a bit of a double entendre, doesn't it, being over the hill and actually coming over a hill and stuff. So I quite like those bits, but the production does nothing for me at all. I, I hate that tremolo guitar sounds. Of it. I think it's just it just becomes a bit boring after a while. It has got that repetition about it, but in a way that's not really strong enough to carry the song through. And then that backing vocal comes in and it suffers for that thing that you always talk about a bit, about it not being murky Smith. So it's it just kind of doesn't seem to fit quite right in the song. And I, I, I listened to it a few times and I tried my best to kind of, right, how can I reframe? this to be something interesting to kind of grab me and it's just nothing really happened with it so um it's it's okay as al said there's plenty of worse stuff but it's it's not a big hitter for me the lyrics about i still remember the white leafy border the shice in winter over the hill reminded me of the beginning of the, the wasteland which is uh, summer surprises coming over the stanberg speed with a shower of rain and he talks about sliding down a hill so that image was in my head but i don't the bit about dennis nielsen and this the um civil servant killer intriguing but it didn't seem to necessarily go anywhere what was interesting for me between these two songs and uh, especially with Leiden kind of on my mind was that path from punk to post-punk to new wave to this 80s shiny pop and I think that if you look at repetition the fall didn't really ever do punk but there's a bit of punk in there but they went post-punk into some kind of new wavey stuff and then eventually this shiny 80s pop but Leiden kind of personifies that path and a lot of bands did that so to look at uh, a really good post-punk song and then a pretty dodgy 80s shiny pop song up against each other. I mean, it shows growth, it shows change, but um, not necessarily in a direction that uh, I particularly like. And I think they knew it. It's one of those things like some four B-sides are absolutely classic and they're on there as hidden gems and then others it's like yeah we know this probably isn't up to snuff so we'll, we'll just kind of stick it in there as a little bit of a bonus yes shall we take oh let's see what peel says and then we'll take a vote so he says clear off this is wet dull and annoying and we get a bit of friday that nobody asked for there's a lot of random twiddling type fall tracks over the years and i take any of them any day of the week over this insipid waste of tape he does not hold back good good so let's take a vote um, Phil, which are you going for? I dig repetition, Brendan. Me too. I'm the same. Um, Steve? Repetition, quite easily. Good, good. Alistair? I think you've all been a bit harsh towards clear off, but uh, all the same, it's not repetition, is it? You know, so I'm going with repetition. It would have been hard for many songs to defeat repetition, but I think clear off took a first round knockout. Ezra? Obviously one must repeat. Exactly. And I'm guessing that Peely is the same. So let's move on to era two, which we have Squidlaw up against Return. Can you give us a blast of Squidlaw off this seminal live album?
Oh, aye. Alistair, what do you make of Squid Law slash Lord? My turn, yes. Your um, turn. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's a, a great tune. I, I remember from the uh, the bunker this week, there was a comment about the annoying bass sound that goes on throughout it. Uh, that was like a, that me, of, yeah. It was a strange a choice because it doesn't exist on the Peel session, which is clear and it's a real stomper, much, much better in my opinion. But there's a very strange choice to have this... <laughs> A bass sound yeah. this um, a hum that everyone else tries to get rid they've amplified it so that it drowns out everything else oh well, you're right um, I, I did check out the peel session and it is uh, a lot clearer but yeah, the peel sessions always sounded very good uh, but I think that was because Smith didn't have time to really get in there and piss people off and he's dealing with like BAFTA award winning producers and things like that who are just sort of like no. <laughs> the, the riff that kicks in, they sort of garage you on, do, do, do. It's like, that really reminded me of uh, um, the Country Teasers cover of No Limit by, was it Too Unlimited? That They could have got away with a bit of legal action on that one, you never know. Pay off the tax man for a little, little bit. But yeah, I, I like the uh, Brixie guitar stomp on the first. Drums, 16s, a bit of rimming in there. It's dead repetitive, so going back to the theme of repetition. I prefer the, uh, the Peel Session version. However, the keyboards on the, uh, the Peel Session version are just too loud and uh, I think they really kind of like overpower it a bit. They've gone in the right direction uh, for the, the production on this. Um, um, because I've just been obsessing about Frank all week, it just reminded me of the squid is correct. Uh, I listened to it last week. I listened to his, his debut uh, LP and there's a bit, it's, it's, uh, if you haven't listened to Frank's uh, Frank Sidebottom's debut LP recently, then go out and do it. Do yourself a favour. Ezra, what do you make of this squid business? It's two thumbs up, this kind of business. I'd like to see more of this kind of business um, in any area of life. Both the versions, the Peel version and the actual version, pretty cracking in my mind. Also interesting to hear that I think, according to the annotated fall, um, the Stone Roses nicked the riff from this track for one of their singles. So yeah, you know, obviously uh, they thought it was good too. Phil, play us that Stone Roses song if you don't mind. What's it called again? Oh, is it called? All for one? I think it's called All for One. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> That's all of the late as all the reformed Storm Roses stuff was, unfortunately. Uh one for all, maybe. You've been kind oh. of describing it as just shit like the the later stuff. It used to be my favourite band in the whole world. Ah, that's plenty. That's plenty. Now, Phil tried to dismiss this with some shitty, it's just a generic uh, line, but no, no fucking way. So it's a guitar riff, isn't it? It sounds extremely similar to uh, Squid Lord, uh, more such more than the, the two Unlimited comparison that I made earlier. A bit of both. So, Steve, on your site, you've got this, uh, this great section where you compare Peel sessions uh, against the recorded version. Right. Yeah, I, I did because it's it, it's become such a. I mean, not just with with the fall, but um, it's become a bit of a cliche, isn't it? So oh, I prefer the Peel version. So it's, yeah, so I went through them all, and you know, there's a lot of places where the Peel version is a lot better, but there's a big dip in some some of the some of the Peel sessions in the late '90s are absolutely dreadful. There's one just before. Um, uh, the Marshall Suite, which is the real nadir of the whole thing. But uh, with this one, I, I have to say, I, I like the, the Seminole Live version better. I think the Peel one is quite, it's bright and clean, but there's something about the sort of scuzzy sound to the, I mean, like all the Seminole Live studio tracks, it doesn't sound properly finished. 
because, you know, the first half of Semolai was really half-arsed, wasn't it? It was just, let's get this done and, and finish off the contract. Um, but no, I like it. I think it's sort of somewhere between glam and garage rock. I think there's sort of the, the, the scruffy guitar and the, and the strings work nicely together. Um, you've got a little bit of a little bit of Lovecraft imagery in there, although as as you know, you presume you all know the story about it actually being Eddie the sound man with seaweed on his head and all the all the rest of it. So uh, yeah, I mean it's oh it's also interesting you can hear a bit of junk man in there, which of course they then um got round to actually doing properly a few years later. So yeah, it's an interesting one. It's it's a sort of seven and a half out of ten for me, I would say. It's a good strong track. Not an absolute classic, but yeah, no, I really like it. I did hear this the, the story about the Sandman, but I think he when he went off in his direction and he made up this story about him summoning Cthulhu to beat up these three lads who'd done him in. And then the descriptions of the three lads is a number one, squat with grey turn-up jeans, stuck up white hairstyle, obviously sheep shag milltown. Which is uh, he harks on about in um, that Northwest fashion show with the sheep shagger from Bolton. Um, the second one is a streak of piss. Leave me alone with him to make him blind will be fun. And the third one in Hope Hospital, his bed will be in a draft, so he gets off. <laughs> he gets off a bit lightly, although his family is cursed. Some of these conjure an image of a video in my head. I talked about a Spike Jones one with the rabbit a few weeks ago and I imagine this is an animation of Smith calling Cthulhu like a puppet show where the Cthulhu just comes down and they twat up these lads together. Very silly, very, very silly idea, but delivered in a way uh, with Smith's integrity that makes you think he might just mean it. Phil, what do you make of this? There's an episode of South Park, isn't there, where Cthulhu turns up and eats Justin Bieber. It's uh, that was that's going through my head when I heard that. I, so I really like the thump. When the thump comes in, I think it's brilliant and everything clicks into place and it's great. But I, I just can't get past that opening guitar riff. It's it's just so as a guitarist, it just it just feels really uninspired. It just feels really kind of oh yeah, I've heard that a million times from a million very average bands knocking it out. And the fact that they start off with it, it just kind of turns me off straight away. I think if they'd done it the other way around, it started with the thump. And then drop the other riff in as the change. I probably would have been more sympathetic to it, but the way it is, it, it just ends up kind of turning me off before it starts. I did clock the jump on thing as well. I, 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 the uh, it was just the melody that, that caught my ear because I do like that song. I like the version of it as well. So yeah, I, th- I so it's a game of two halves really for me. I really really like the thumpy thump bit and the the, the riff bit. It just kind of turns me off a bit. Yeah, the four to the floor stomp really works, and uh, there's a song coming up in a couple that uh, where they do another stompy staccato thing that doesn't work quite as well, in my opinion. But um, what does uh, JP think over there in the electrical ether? So tapping through on the Ecto sketch, Peel Session version for me doesn't really sound like much from this era, in my opinion. No idea what he's going on about. But I like the weird combination of stadium rock feeling production with the scree of synthesised instruments creating a vaseline gloss over any specifics. Feels to me like there could have been an entire album in this sound world. I like it a lot. Mm. If, they, if they hadn't had to rush out a contractually obliged uh, uh, album, they might have just spent a few more hours on it. Um, the the Peel Session has some fairly heinous brass synth stabs that uh, were the highlight for me. Um, alrighty, so let's see what it's up against, which is Return from Code Selfish from the year of our Lord 1992. 
Well, well, well. Ezra, what do you reckon to this one? Yeah, some people on the chat were saying that they really don't like the sound of Marky Smith going baby, 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 baby. But for me, it's a good thing. That's all. As long as he's not saying darling, I think he'll get away with it. Yeah, I love them drums. I think this has a nice chugging kind of feel. So the singing reminds me of the guy from Yummy Fur. I was going to bring them up when we talked about repetition because I think Yummy Fur, which is a really, really great band um, from 90s, they're, musically they sound a lot like stuff from Repetition, but his vocals sound a lot like this stuff, and I really, really like it. Not a lot going on lyrically. Something to do with Greek myths, maybe, but it doesn't hold together, or it's just out of my league, maybe. I just don't know enough. But I did like the bit where he said, is that a her extension? It's soaked in her lotion. How can you smell your own head? Baby, 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 baby. I think uh, Dave Bush there, I think, will have programmed those drums, maybe. And this is, uh, I think, Code Selfish for me is a bit of hit and miss, that whole era. But this is uh, a strong one. A single thumb up and maybe a second half of a thumb, if I'm uh, counting thumbs. Phil, what do you reckon? So I <laughs> I like it. The first thing I wrote was Bops Along Nicely. And I, I think as a song, it, it does kind of all fit together and everything works in it. And then I picked up on the chatter around the baby baby thing. And it just reminded me of um, uh, many moons ago when we were in uh, a band called Fleck and we had went through a bit of a Led Zeppelin period where we kept referring to, oh, me and uh, the other guitarist kept referring to um, Mr. Robert Plant as Percy, as I believe he was called in that band. And then every time we heard him say the word baby in a Led Zeppelin record, we would shout Percy as a competition to see who's got the most points. And so I found myself in that mindset as I was listening to this record and it, and thinking, is this him doing a, a Percy Plant record? Is this him channeling Robert Plant and, and Led Zeppelin? And, and the opening then really struck me as like immigrant song. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, what does he say in it? Uh, bum, bum, bum. He goes, God bless the cold wind and its refreshing consequence. Uh-huh. Oh, please return. It's just, so I was then in, in that world. Um, so I, so it makes me laugh and I think it's a decent tune that bops along nicely and the fact that he does do a baby 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 song I think I'm with Ezra I think it's a it's a plus and you get the award for the most fucking ridiculous statement of the evening that this sounds like immigrant song by Led Zeppelin so good quite a stretch there Philip um but good good Steve what about you yeah I'm, I'm really struggling to hear immigrant song here I have to say sorry for <laughs> Uh, maybe I'll go back and listen to a bit of Zeppelin later on and, and check it out. But um, this is the era I, I mentioned in my introduction about where I sort of parted way with the band. And I, I don't think I'm alone by any means. And this this was the era where we started to to, to part company. I mean, personal things as well. 92, I got married. Um, by 2004, I had five. By 2007, sorry, I had five children. So that's you know, one of the, um, the reasons behind it. Um, I, I'm not a fan, I have to say. I think it suffers from where it sits on the album. Because you've got a really strong brace of opening tracks there. You know, you've got Birmingham School and Free Range, which just blow you away. And then this just, I mean, I look back at what I wrote about on the blog originally, and the, the phrase that leapt out was unedifying churn. It just drags a bit. And to me, the programming, it does sound like Dave Bush just pressed a few buttons and wandered off to the pub. Um, and there's a little sort of wooden type marimba-ish sort of sound in the in the rhythm track, which sort of grates on me a little bit. I would agree that How Can You Smell Your Own Head is, is definitely the highlight of the song. That still makes me laugh but it just feels a bit will this do to me. Yes, the wrong sort of repetition, maybe. Seems to be the theme for the evening. Alistair, 
I didn't mind it actually. Um, I thought that the drums were interesting. I don't think there's any fillers in it. It's just sort of straight. I, I did kind of make a note along the lines that I'd, I'd be bored off me fucking ass if I was uh, playing it myself. Um, and it's just one that you wouldn't look forward to doing. But it's it's got uh, that nice kind of like well, the the keyboards remind me a bit of B fifty twos, like rock lobster kind of thing. You know, it's that kind of sound and that kind of like minimal minimalistic kind of rhythm to it. And I don't know, it reminded me a bit of Devo for some reason. Uh, but quite like the, the, you know, the sparse rhythm for the guitar, which is like quite mechanical. The, the beat reminded me, of, I don't know, some sort of kind of like Northern Soul-y type, you know, constant groove to it. Um, there's a bit where it does a little falsetto vocal as well. That made me chuckle. Uh, I, think, I think that's quite good. And I did like the cheesy marimba sound, Steve. <laughs> it's just like, it's one of those things that you just sort of like, um, not taking themselves too seriously. It's just like, right, let's stick this in here or annoy someone. You know, it's, it's, I think it's meant to be annoying. I think it's a deliberate act. But yeah, I, I'm not dead keen on the fair date. That just shows a, a lack of uh, imagination. Uh, you know, you should finish it with proper ending uh, like uh, you know you do you really do <laughs> exactly well one man's mess is another man's poison so you know the remembrance is not for everyone no. i thought the keys in it reminded me of the keys back in the early days um had some charm i liked it okay peel peel he was rattling through the furniture and he says charming and a bit throwaway other than the painful bit when mez says baby 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 the song sounds about half developed to me. Maybe it's the recording which makes it sound so throwaway, but I've not heard many bootlegs from this era. I don't like it enough to bother. Fair enough. Then let us take a vote. Phil, what are you going for? Baby, baby, baby! I'm going for a return, mate. Okie dokie. Steve? Easy win for the squid for me. Okie dokie. Al? Uh, the squid is usually correct, but I'm going for return as well, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Ezra? I'm throwing the baby out and I'm keeping with squid water. Ooh, la, la. What about Peely? Squid law trances. Good Lord. And I'm going for return, so we have our first ever, first uh, ever. Is, is, is Peel giving it points, though? Uh, is, is it because we normally rely on the, on the point system? Uh, please don't let us down. Here's what we're going to do, Al. So we all have to hold up the fingers and I'm going to say the name of the song and you got you can hold up. Uh, zero, one, two, or three fingers for the song, and I'll count it. And I'll edit all this down so it'll sound that professional. <laughs> so first off, out of three points, how many points are you giving Squid Lord? So we got three for Steve, two for me, two for Al, one for Phil, three for Ezra. How many's Peel giving it? He said trances, so I'm assuming yeah. that's a three. That is 13 points for Squid Lord. So how many points again out of three? How many points are you giving to the other one? Return. Return the best one. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And Peely's giving it less than three, which means it cannot win, which means Squid Lord goes through. Hooray for maths, everyone. <laughs> All right, let us move on to Don't Call Me Darling from Cerebral Caustic. Let's hear some of those delightful backing vocals. Wants this. She hates this. Don't call me darling. Don't call me darling. Don't call 
Steve, I'm going to come to you first on this, if you don't mind. I don't mind this. It's not wonderful, but um, I think the one of the interesting things about it is is the contrast in what they do with Smith and Briggs's lyrics, because uh, voices, I should say, because where, where the uh, back in the '80s, where they worked well together, is where she was a little bit of sweetness to temper him, and it's obviously done completely the other way around here, where. You know, MES is almost sort of crooning this one and, and she does all the, the punky rasp. I mean, it does get, and I suspect some others are going to hate it because of her vocal, it does get a bit wearing after a while. But, you know, it, it, it's it's a decent enough stomp. It, it, I've got a few bootleg recordings of it, it sounds okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to guess for most people it's going to be Brix's vocal that, that brings it down a little bit. Um, I mean, I've read somewhere that he, he claimed that it wasn't about her, but it was actually about getting beaten up, although I don't really see where that is in the lyric. In fact, although there's some interesting lines about, you know, wretched blue bottles and stuff, there's not really a lot of sense to be had from it. But yeah, it, it's okay. Thank you. Phil, the floor is yours. Yeah. So I, I like that idea. I've not thought about that, I'd say, in terms of the, the, the dynamic between the vocals and the fact that it's a reversal, though it's normally done. Because the first thing that came to my mind was guesting form and words like she's she does that really committed backing vocal sort of scream through that, which works brilliantly. And she's she is fab at doing that kind of stuff. Yes, there we go. Feels seldom differ. Um, so I and I, I must admit, when we came into this project in the first instance, I was a bit down on Brits, but I've, I've totally, totally changed my mind about it. I think she's actually absolutely brilliant, and she adds so much to what the fall does. She's she really is an integral part to that bit of the story. Um, but this just doesn't work for me, and it, it is. I am. I am in that camp of it. Just it's just a bit too grating. It's just a bit too annoying. There's a motif within the song, and so it just kind of puts me off the rest of it. So even though, and I, I'm quite a big fan of Smithy's crooning style, um, it, it doesn't kind of work for me really. And I did keep thinking of that Pamela Anderson film, which came out about a year after this, called Barb Wire, which she keeps saying, "Don't call me Babe," in it, which. It was a difficult thing to shirk off, but um, yeah, the hook the the hook just didn't work for me. Hmm. Hmm. Ezra, what do you what do you think about this piece of sweetness? Yeah, I quite like it. I think there's a lot of grunge bashing going down. Yeah, you know, like like um, the other track we heard, "Feeling Numb." I think those are the only two we've covered from this album, which I haven't heard. Yeah, I quite like it. You know, it, it's. A garagey stomper with bricks screaming her lungs out. Very, very nice. Hmm. Al, do you concur with the opinions that have thusly been presented? Um, yeah, I mean, mostly you've uh, been going on about the uh, the vocals on it. I quite like the vocals. I quite like Smithy's croony kind of sound, don't mind uh, Bricks's uh, shouty, screamy bits. Um, the bit I can't stand is just fucking backing music so you know like the, the verse bit it sounds like bloody madness or some sort of jules holland uh thing that piano it's it's horrible uh, but yeah the subtlety of, of smith's vocal delivery i quite like it, it seems like a, a competent sounding uh karaoke backing track a, a, bit, a bit too term in that res- uh, respect but yeah i can imagine that the, the band thinking uh <laughs> of the band members thinking uh, don't call me cocker or something like that instead you know uh, with this uh, Informal way of uh, approaching um, 
personnel management and all that kind of business. But just generally, I don't like it. I don't mind the vocals, but it's the music that, that lets it down for me. I was just reminding me of something I was going to say as well, which is I think I think it starts off all right. The music you've you've had it, Phil. Rock. You've had your time. No, 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 no. I have. <laughs> yeah, shut up, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just goes in the wrong direction. Scanlon's guitar playing is like, it's like cock rock towards the end. And it's, mm. it just it didn't do it for me at all. Like, well, more, Craig, more was, Craig was giving up the ghost by this point, wasn't he? He lost interest. Really. He was on the way out, right? I think he's a, when you're giving Bricks that much freedom to go, I mean, as much as I love Bricks of playing or singing, um, yeah, I think around this time, uh, maybe this wasn't her best set of uh, moments those staccato chords are the last refuge of the indie scoundrel there every band's got one of them where everyone just is and it's 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 bad times bad times uh, it does well, sound like it used to do that kind of thing quite well you can get away with it if you do it right but there's so many bands that just it, it's you got to have a song like that, jumping around, maybe get your foot to the floor beat. People hate beauty, I cannot fathom it. I really love that line. I uh, wish he'd expanded on that a little bit more. But yeah, unfortunately, bouncing Jackson with stupidity aside, there's not much in terms of lyrics for me to grab onto. Uh, yeah, it didn't do it for me. And sadly, uh, yeah, I love Bricks. I love her vocals, but this one. And I did write down guest informant as a way of doing this right how she's doing that kind of aggressive singing but uh, yeah unfortunately no what does uh, a friend over there on the other side think uh he says this is awful especially brix's strained bad grunge gurning vocal which just smothers anything that could possibly be good about this track it's weird i generally really like brix's vocal but this is pop oh well oh well size all yes, round Let's hear four and a half inch from Levitate and see whether that hooks some of us up a little bit more. Nice. I'm glad you left that break in there, Phil. Al, I'm going to come to you first on this one with its big booming drums. What do you make of it? Yeah, I remember this one when it came out. It was uh, it's quite nice. Is it a, a Nagel one or is it? I think it is a Nagel one. It's not. It's not the the uh, Dulce people, is it? it? It's one of these. There's, it's disputed. Uh, it has um, some people reckon that actually Smith is the only member of the Fall on it, um, but Steve Hanley says that there's a sample, but no more than a sample of him and Cy Wollstonecraft on it. So it's one of these. Not entirely clear. It, it's certainly not a full lineup one. I think it's probably more the Dulce people than than Julia, but. Hard to get to the bottom of these things. Yeah. So I think they chopped up some samples. And if that was the case, because I think he got rid of them early on in the process. So I think they did a few couple of songs together. 
And I think this might have been done early on. Um, I think it, it's more likely because I think Nagel's stuff is a bit more straightforward program. This has obviously been chopped up quite a bit, uh, for better or worse. What do you make of it? I make of it. Um, it's, it's very good. I um, really like it. I had me uh, strutting around the kitchen like a, an angry peacock, uh, turning it up to number 11. I really like the uh, attention with it, like the guitar, the bass, the drums together and with the sort of like in the red kind of shouty vocals. The, the mad bit at the beginning as well is just, it's like a, you know, it's selling you know, a false pass or something like that in rugby league. Um, you, you, you kind of go, you're not, you're not expecting it uh, when the, the actual riff kicks in. But yeah, the funky breaks, love that. It could have gone on longer for me. Really liked it. Yeah, the misdirect, it's a nice one. The, the, so the single version of this came out a couple <laughs> of years later under that under their name of Inch, I think, with Smith on it. And um, the, it chops off most of that. I think it goes straight into the kind of chunky bit which which is good but i i think that is uh, the key the beginning bit is is uh, spot on but i do like that nice keys break you got some kind of doctor who he since come in on the on the break yeah. which is cool and, well the guitar and the bass the way they kind of like work together if you took the beater away it reminded me a bit of the uh, error of all i kind of right. sound to it that's nice ezra i hope this uh a good one Oh, this is a big favourite of mine. Yeah, it's possibly my favourite track on the album, and it is interesting, isn't it, that it's obviously not a live track in the sense of there having been a band there as such, but an enormous cover of what I guess are samples from the band, maybe some synths. And yeah, it's fantastic, and I just love the lyrical imagery in there. Like, you know, the house is falling in. And it really sounds like it as well. It's such a great kind of pummeling, almost industrial track. It's got this kind of, puts me in mind of some public enemy with the uh, kind of like squeals that kick off in there. Um, and yeah, the lyrics are just incredible. And we're back to ecstatic midges, which is always good. Exactly. Another bug day. It is a, a super cool vibe and it being a, an outlier in a way, but it seems that we say that so often. Every, <laughs> almost every fall song is an outlier, um, which is interesting in and of itself. As for this, four and a half, Phil, that number, does it mean anything to you? It reminded me of um, Thingy Revolution 9, because that's got that collage sounds type thing going on, isn't it? It's a highly edited piece of music. This sounds like collage from the off. It's, I like the rugby league metaphor, the, the kind of the, the dummy pass type thing. It, on first listen of all these songs, this was the one that jumped out at me that was the most enjoyable to listen to on the on the first kind of rub, the, the first run through. The big, yeah, the big beat stuff I really liked. It's it's a bit of a Manchester thing, isn't it? The Chemical Brothers kind of connection. That's uh, and it's about that time where that sound was sort of kicking off, and it, that's another Beatle connection, isn't it? With Tomorrow Never Knows and the, the sort of drum loop sort of stuff there. So it's it. I, I like all of those things. I, I, I love the ecstatic midges, obviously. Those, uh, and then when the guitar kicks in, it really reminds me of sort of John Spencer Blues Explosion or even like Jesus mm. Lizard or something like that. It's that kind of really raw, raggedy blues rock kind of thing, but with this really tight, 
electro kind of drum in the background. It's like it's like that whole can thing of loose and tight, isn't it? They kind of get it just right on this track. Um, and it's and where Smithy's voice becomes like part of the uh, part of the texture of different sounds going on. It's and it foreshadows like that sort of von Suden felt type stuff as well, which is which is boss. So yeah, really really good. Double thumbs up. Yeah, great. Nice, nice. Steve, what do you make of this? Right, well, um, I've avoided doing this so far because you didn't want me just reading things out to you uh, uh, all the way through. But um, I don't know really where, but the You Must Get Them All blog, I've sort of rewritten as a book, which I'm hoping to get published and then I'll do this yeah. in the future with, with Root. Mm. Um, so I'm going to read you the paragraph out that I wrote about this because I, I particularly love this song. So um, it's an insanely glorious mess. The sound of several genres being battered relentlessly against a wall until they're bloodied and semi-conscious, then being crushed and crammed forcibly into the mixing desk. The drums crash, blare and distort. A heavy, twangy funk rock riff muscles its way in periodically, trying to assert its dominance. A shrill, atonal sci-fi synth darts in periodically, surveys the chaos, shrugs its shoulders and wanders out again. Somewhere lurking in the shadows, a frightened little harpsichord effect keyboard tinkles shyly. Over all this, the multiple layers of cut-and-paste MES swarm like enraged wasps. It's like being surrounded by a crowd of enraged drunks in a Weatherspoon's closing time brawl. The words are angrily garbled, frequently challenging to make out and beyond interpretation. The house is falling in, ecstatic midges, there we go again, cloud coverage. It is, as the annotated force suggests, a good example of MES letting the language take over, a pile of verbal imagery that somehow achieves sublimity without being mediated to the discipline of poetry. For me, Inch captures perfectly the overall spirit of levitate, bleak, chaotic, punishing, and truly exhilarating. That's nice. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Um, tell us a, a little bit more about the book. What's the plan there? Well, we hope to get it out. I, I spoke to, to Ian at Root, because obviously Root have published the Hanley Brothers books and, and Sywalls to Crofts as well. Um, and then I, I spent some time redrafting because converting a blog to a book is actually really quite hard work, more, more work than I'd ever realised. Because when you write a blog, you know, you, you put the links, the hyperlinks all in the sentences and you write the sentences to fit that in yeah. so that people can, and you've got to obviously redo all of that. Um, the first version I did because I just made all of the links into footnotes had over a thousand footnotes which obviously wasn't going to work so um, but really I think I think the pandemic sort of interfered with things I think Root have been a bit short-staffed they've had lots of books to do and but I'm hoping to meet with Ian uh, up in Manchester later this month to to thrash through how we might get it out in a way I'm glad it didn't come out at the beginning of this year because we had a bit of a plethora of full books didn't we um, so it might have been more crowded market so I'm hoping it's going to be out for your Christmas stockings, fingers crossed. Nice, beautiful. And it basically gives an overview of all the albums chronologically. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly the sort of thing that Smith would have hated. I mean, yeah. he specifically says in the Mick Middles book, you know, you're not going to write a book that goes album by album like that. Who would want to read that sort of thing? Well, I think quite a few people would actually, but yeah. So whether he's looking at me from above or below, he'll be shaking his head sadly, you know, at me writing this chronological rock book. Um, but, you know, I, I think people might like it, hopefully. Yeah, just uh, watch out for Cthulhu coming for you. <laughs> nice. So uh, what does Peel make of this uh, mess? Like, I'm finding out to get a read. When this first came out, I thought a couple of you I pegged who would really like it, but um, I was really surprised uh, with the opinions throughout here. So what does Peely think? It's put down, there's a great track in here somewhere. I think the whole drum and bass garage rock crossover thing they have going here is super promising. I really enjoy this one whenever I hear it. And I wish they'd spent some more time playing around with what they were doing here and explored it a bit. 
like Mez overwhelming vocal fragments stacking on top of one another. And it feels a bit like a precursor to the legendary Sherkov. Mm. I get his idea of it being slightly underdeveloped in some ways, but um, maybe that's part of the charm of it as well, especially, you know, makes me think of the Bert Whistle's girl in shop that we all went balmy for a few weeks ago. Um, Alrighty, well, it's time, I believe, to take a vote. Don't call me darling or four and a half inch. I am going to go for four and a half inch. How about you, Al? Same here, four and a half inch. Alrighty, Ezra? Definitely the four and a half inch for me. Interesting. Phil? Four and a half inch for me. And your mate? Four and a half inch, darling. Exactly. (laughs) Clear as always. Steve? Well, I didn't read you out my paragraph about don't call me darling, did I? Okay. (laughs) I will infer from that that um, four and a half inch is going through nicely, nicely. And moving on to the final era, which is noise from Remit up against what about us from Heads Roll. Kiddies, as we get older, we have to try and understand people who are different from us. Pizza is one of these people. And his hands is a guitar. Why don't you try some of it? Yourself! At least I like Peter. You won't be twitching all over the F frets. That's what they call on the guitar. Behind Thank you, Philip. I uh, will be eternally grateful that you didn't turn that until he'd said that um, I'm going to go first I uh, give me the detour give me the skit the insult song the hidden track the remix the the live the cover let me make a mounted from that detritus because insult song bastardo and now this it's I just laugh every single time the dude is a funny funny fucker the, it, Peter is one of these people in his hands there's a guitar why don't you try some of it yourself at least unlike peter you won't be twitching all over the frets that's what they call it on a guitar so after years of ambiguity he decides the only thing he needs to explain to us is what the things are called on a guitar (laughs) and then he shouts nasty noise peter oh here he is now is it gentle ribbing or is he, uh, Is it turned a little bit darker? I love it. I mean, the music, fair enough. I can take it or leave it. But uh, this is Smith, a full-on stand-up comedian roasting, and I absolutely love it. Love, love, love. Alistair, I know you're going to back me up on this. So yeah, I'm not even going to ask Phil his opinion. <laughs> it is very funny, but it is more bullying, isn't it? Let's face it, you know. Um, really, really patronising. You, you can't get any more sort of patronising that. But they, like in the music, the background around me, a bit of uh, sort of like Alderfall, a bit like Iceland or something like that. Uh, there's nice analogue synthy sort of stuff going on. Um, actually reminded me a, a little bit of uh, the, the podcast tune. <laughs> um, but 
yeah, it's, it's dead funny. Uh, and it is, as you said, like the, the full-on stand-up comedian. It's like he he just does not give a shit. Um, and just doing that every night on tour uh, must have been uh, very uncomfortable, let's put it that way. <laughs> Maybe. You've been with the lads quite a few years at this point, but still, might be a bit much. Um, hmm. Steve, what, what, uh, what does this kind of track do for you? I, I like this a lot. Um, for a start, I'm a passionate defender of Remit, which I, I take every opportunity to say is the most criminally underrated fall album of all. Um, and I had to get that in at some point. <coughs> um, it's weird, isn't it? Because the comedy roast, which is a really an American phenomenon from the 70s, isn't it? So, you know, middle-aged blokes in tuxedos get up and, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. and all, all that sort of stuff. It's not really a very British thing. but So how Smith quite got into it. But as you said, he's done it before. He did it, he, he, well, he, he did it with Insult Song. Uh, Northwest Fashion Show, to a certain extent, is a bit like that. I mean, I, I sort of have this image of him getting back from the pub. They've recorded this sort of nice churny bit of electronica, and he thinks, where's that bit of paper? You know, he's, but he's dropped his carry bag, can't find it. So he just looks around the studio and talks about the people and the things that he sees. You know, he even mentions the studio at the end, doesn't he? Um, so, you know, I, I really like it. I've actually got a six-minute version of just the music, which I, I used in... I don't know if you've ever come across my, my Lost Fall album that I made. The Atlanta Albania one. I mentioned it to the lads. I've listened to a few. You've got a couple of tracks up on YouTube. It's uh, it's really nice. You've taken some spoken word, right, and mixed it in with some unreleased. Yeah, there stuff. was a, there was a load of of sort of um, um, outtake instrumentals about, and I just slapped a bit of his spoken word on the top for a, for a bit of fun. But I used this for for one of them. But yeah, no, I I really like it. I mean, you wouldn't want a whole album of it. Um, but yeah, no, it's it, it's funny. It, it it makes me laugh and. You know, perhaps they've been together, you know, quite a while now in terms of that last lineup, and I, I think it's quite affectionate, really. I think it's Smith also showing his ignorance of the guitar because I think he says the F frets, which is, you know, I'm a bit of an amateur guitarist. I don't know what an F fret is meant to be, but um, we, you know, we know MES's com competence on the guitar, don't we? Yeah. Um, Phil, go on then. Because you, you loved Insult Song. You said that was a, that were you, one of your favourites, but you didn't. I yeah, kind of push you on that this week about this. I know you did, but out of principle, I had to disagree with you. And then and then I've got to the stage now where I can't, because it is really funny. And it's like, when he shows Peter, I keep thinking of um, Uncle Peter from Vic Reeves as well, which just adds to it all. Um, I, I, and the music's not really important for this. It's not about that, is it? It's about Smithy doing what Smithy does. And the other thought that I have about, I totally get all the roast stuff and it is, it's more in that spirit, I think, in, in him doing this. But when he, as a front man, when he antagonises the band, that to me is like his, we know he dabbles in sort of mysticism, precog type stuff and the, we've, the word shamanics appeared a few times in people's description of the music, but... It's about him creating that energy on stage, isn't it? That's what, when the gigs you remember and the gigs you forget, it's all about the energy, isn't it, that's in the room. And that's him doing what a front man should do. If he feels like the energy is sagging, it's his job to kind of perk it all back up again, isn't it, as a performer? I think he just found his own way of doing that, and this was his way of doing it, wasn't it? It was to kind of kick the band in the nuts a little bit and start antagonising them and, and get that energy up. So, yeah, it's really, really grown on me, this, even though the, the noodling does nothing for me. The music's, the music's just a bit of fluff, isn't it? As your friend might have said, does anybody remember laughter? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, the, the music actually, I don't mind it, but um, it, it is overshadowed massively by uh, 
stand up stand up mez uh, ezra how about you yeah this is much a much better um version of this kind of track you know like uh, i think the one that insult song was paired with last time was another kind of variant on this and i didn't like that at all but this yeah you know like as you've said it's charming it's roasty it's power harassment love it to bits exactly i think he's got a case um what about peel i cannot imagine <laughs> he's got any time for this maybe i'm being harsh no i i think you may have to measure <laughs> him on this but not funny musically crap Alrighty, well, it is up against a bit of a heavyweight. What a guy, Oz, from Heads Fall Heads Roll 2005. Let's have a, a little bit of a blast. are indeed living leggings yeah. phil go on it's yours yeah, he's rocking and rolling with this one isn't he it's uh, i think we said last week about just how competent these guys are well, as, a, as a band and how tight they are as a unit and you, you get that back from the off it kind of explodes when everything kicks in it really kind of pops um it, all the productions tweaked in the right places um it's do you know, no one could do an intro like Marquis Smith, can they? He's literally just kind of burbling and making noises during the microphone. And it, I mean, he's done the vocal fanfare thing before, hasn't he? But it's but it it just works. It just he just very rarely puts a foot wrong in an intro. Um, so I love that. But for me, it kind of suffers a little bit like that. I can't remember what the last one we was talking about with this lineup, but it's it kind of suffers a little bit because of how height it is and it's like this is, uh, this is different lineup though so this is the heads roll lineup which is bird whistle and, and co before and then this is pre-post tlc so this ah, these okay, look, i'm going to make a case for consistency even though it's different people uh, uh, that blip that tlc blip i think is very consistent and i get what you're saying even though it's the same sound it's false. Well, it's the, the thing that the thing that struck me the more that I listened to it was that I don't really like how he does the lyrics, even though it comes out strong and it's got a really kind of good, endearing intro with all the smithy kind of noises that, are, that we're also fond of. When he actually starts singing the song, it just feels a bit structured like a sick form poem. It's just the, the meter is a bit kind of, and the, 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 the lyrical meter in it just feels a bit bit amateurish to me and it kind of lost my interest as I was listening to it and the lyrics are just like 
I, it was the la- it's the last thing I always do is to look at the lyrics. I don't I, I catch phrases that he sings. If some of that catches my ear, then you know I, I might look into it. But when I actually read the words of this, I was like, really? We're going to go there? All right, then. That's uh, that's quite interesting. It's weird that it's formed a bit of a theme this week. Yes, uh, noted. I'll uh, put it in that you expect Marky Smith to be more professional in his dealings, um, marked down for uh, sloppy work. Uh, Alistair, what do you make of this? Get what Phil's coming from <coughs> to a certain extent with the uh, it, yeah, it just sounds a bit too competent uh, at, at times. I think it's just the guitar I find a little bit on the, on the dull side. Quite like the keyboards. It, it, it reminds me of, of something that you know, like people from the Mighty Boosh might do or something like that. You know, it's, it's that kind of sound. Uh, but yeah, the lyrics are interesting. Like gets onto the Harold Shipman stuff, I think, which was quite amusing. It reminded me a bit of a. A 1980s sort of thrash band, a bit called Macabre, who just used to do songs about serial killers. And uh, maybe think the uh, Albert Fish, Albert Fish children were his favourite dish kind of uh, <laughs> thing. Um, but I quite liked it. The, the, the vocal at the beginning, the, the bar, bar, bar bit, was, that was great. It just reminded me of the uh, Jim Fix It theme, uh, the end of it. Like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> you know, but it's. Uh, it's like he's doing his, his cabaret acts or something like that, you know. Uh, but with the, the really sort of weird lyrics, the, the way that the, the chorus drops in, that dead late as well, I think that's quite interesting. Because, uh, you know, they, they, they're probably like just slogging at this riff before they come to their What About Us bit. And uh, that's kind of like the, uh, the punchline, I think. It is indeed. I thought we were going to go an episode with a new tree, tree reference, uh, Al, but uh, clearly not. It's That uh, investigation has uh, clearly affected you. Yeah, they, didn't get, they didn't catch Albert Fish, though, did they? Ah, oh, good Lord. Um, Ezra? Yeah, it's a proper nice kind of searing uh, synth line in there, which I really like. Yeah, it's maybe not one of my favourite kind of fall rockers, but one thing that I do like is just imagining that the what about us shipman is just basically saying, what about where's our drug shipman? You know, you're giving all these drugs to the, to the oldsters. What about us? Where's ours? And, uh, you know, I can roll with that sentiment. Exactly. It's a, it's a question that uh, needed to be asked. And it is one interpretation of that. Steve, what uh, do you make of this, especially this kind of uh, era, this polite-ish yeah. fall sound? It's funny. I was trying to imagine what other group would have a, a fan base that would complain about the group being too competent. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> um, uh, I, um, I, I echo what others have said about the introduction. One of, one of my favourite four things is, is Smith's interjections, you know, the hups and stuff that he does. And I think the whoa, yeah, at the beginning of this is great. I, I love that. Um, I mean, for me, Four Heads Roll as, as, a, as a whole album suffers from having two or three too many of these, um, these sort of straightforward rockers. It's, a, you know, it's, it's not an album without you know, light and shade in it, but there's perhaps one or two too many of these. But no, it's it's, it's a strong song. I love uh, Eleanor's um, contribution. Uh, I want to get that in as well, because I think her contribution to the group as a whole is is far too underrated uh, over the group's history. I think what she what she contributes is great. Um, it's funny, I think I think this is what, this came up in the Falling Fives quite early on, and I wrote naively, who else would have written a song about Harold Shipman, which I was inundated then with links to other songs about Harold Shipman. There was a Fat White Family one, and there's that really disturbing one by Jonathan King. Have you heard that? 
Jonathan King wrote a, a song about basically suggesting that Shipman was a, vi a, a, a victim of a miscarriage of justice. It's really peculiar. It's on YouTube. Look it up. It's quite disturbing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I really like it. It's, it's straight from its noises. Some great live versions. There's that one of that festival in Oslo that's on YouTube. It's a brilliant version with the um, with the dudes lineup. And I put one up myself on on um, YouTube a few weeks ago of one they did in Wigan that's 15 minutes long. Um, it gets to about 10 minutes, and the group sort of finish, and, and Smithy's having none of it. He's like, come on, come on, one, two, three, four, and counts them back in again. Um, and it's, it's pretty monumental. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a good, strong song. Well, that's interesting, because obviously we're, we're from Wigan, the three of us, and, uh, but did, did anyone go to that one? Because that was the Lupine one. Nirvana Club, I think yeah. it's called. So the lad who puts it on, his name's Dylan, he has uh, Lupine. He also runs a travel agency that takes people to North Korea and, and weird places. And they'll often pop up on Instagram with like Damon Albarn or some other pop star that he's taken to like Iran or North Korea. And he also happened to put on that fall gig um, Oh, it's worth looking it up and having a listen. It's you'll find yeah, it if you. I think if you just put in "What about us, you uh, Wigan?" You'll probably find it. Nice. Um, oh, let me ask you this, Steve, about uh, the name of that young lady that was married to Mark. So I hear it, Eleni, uh, Ellen. Uh, what, what, what's, what should we? What should we call her? As an expert on these things, what should we? Well, refer I don't know about this? that, but I've, I've heard various ex-band members. So Kieran Melling, for example, was on the Hanley Brothers podcast, and he said Eleanor. I've heard people say Eleanor. I've always written it as with the I at the end because that's what it is on most of the records. So I've gone with that. But she seems to use multiple different spellings okay. herself. So, but I think I think Eleanor is how you say it. But Good. I'm not going to claim 100% accuracy on that. Settled. But um, she, yeah, she makes a great contribution to the song. I really love it. And it is silly. And uh, clearly he starts off by saying, I am a rabbit. <laughs> And uh, she has this uh, rabbit, Eleanor, that, that Gunther Leipzig, that also was the character in um, Latchkey Kid. So I yeah. think that she... And also, she posts pictures of it on Instagram occasionally. She's put some up with Mark, with the rabbit. Uh, I've, I've put a picture up on Twitter and stuff of it before, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he also mocked, I think, Michael Bracewell when he interviews him for, for, for believing that it's actually about a rabbit. Uh, but he does... <laughs> Suggest that it is by singing hop 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 over the second half of the song. But uh, this idea of this rabbit from East Germany, I became an immigrant. It's very literal. And uh, then he, yeah, he's having a good time, and he finds a newspaper that talks about shipment, and then the absolute madness of them shouting, "What about us, ship man?" Uh, and especially that video where they're in the crowd of thousands and thousands of people, um, just madness what other band does that kind of stuff but the thing i was going to say to you phil about the polite fall uh, as we, we might refer around the time of country on the click and then it goes through this album and then it kind of picks up again with the lads towards the end for the last five or six albums it takes a bit of a detour in that post tlc which uh, we've ragged on the production of that a little bit but there's an argument for the last third of the fall being this very competent band and i think that's what smith wanted um don't think it's what we want which is why when that bird whistle song came up which was just basically <laughs> noisy keyboard and shouting we all lost it um but um i think it was in line with his vision especially um i, I would say that the, the reformation album is obviously very very flawed i don't think it's without some merits but i i always think it's crying shame that that lineup 
which I never saw play live, but lots of people say were brilliant live, never really got to make a, a proper album. And Rob Barbato, sorry, Rob Barbato, as I discovered it's, it's pronounced, um, he did a, an appearance on the radio show and was a, was a lovely guy. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a shame that there's never been a, there was never a properly made studio album with that lineup because I think it could have been really interesting. Yeah, and Tim Presley's stuff, especially the White yeah. Fence and other stuff, it's great, it's great stuff. But yeah, I, I agree with you. It is a rushed, rushed job, uh, circumstances and all that. But um, yeah, have uh, Peel is not told us what he thinks yet, right? So yeah, I think he'd been drinking at this point because he was possibly one of the funniest fall lyrics and a fun poppy accompaniment. The idea of being annoyed that being a rabbit, Harold Shipman didn't offer you any drugs as well. It's all right. What about us not including shitty skits on albums to fill space? Then he's but I got my mail order list through this week from one of the boiling transmission pipes and noticed that Cherry Red are putting out about 150 new fall releases in the coming months. I bet they'll be good. <laughs> he's what we in the business call a cynic isn't he but i'm glad i think mm-hmm. i think it's uh eleanor that's uh his soft spot there i think he can't he can't really say a bad word if she's on the track so let's take a vote uh noise versus what about us steve what are you going for this is probably the closest one for me because i do like what about us but because of my unswerving loyalty to remit as an album i'm gonna go for noise beautiful interesting alistair what about us, Shipman? Okay, Ezra. What about us? Oakley, Oakley, Phil. Noise. And uh, Peely seems to suggest heavily that he's gone for what about us. So it makes it easy for me because it would have been. Uh, no, he's gone. For, he's, he's gone for. Uh, oh yeah, you're right. No, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't taking on noise. I am also going for noise, but uh, I don't know if I would have gone for that had it been decider but um so what we'll do as we say every week there will be a chance for some of these to get a second chance but uh, we shall see when things come around so thank you for uh, for that chaps and especially steve thanks very much it's been a real pleasure really enjoyed it could, could have quite happily done another hour fantastic well hopefully you'll come back uh, you know when the book's out and stuff and we can have a chat about it uh, going through tonight we have a repetition we have a squid lord We have uh, four and a half inch and we have What About Us. Yes, well, enjoy your day, chaps, and um, take care. I shall see you all soon, hopefully. Great stuff, cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Take care, Steve. Hello. Hello. Hello.